0: times they are a-changing. Some of you may remember that sentiment song made famous by Bob Dylan in the late 1960s, early 1970s. But boy, those times had nothing on today. Walk down any street in Boston and it hits you. The law, and it seems the acceptance of marijuana as a recreational and medicinal substance, have made seismic shifts in use of the drug, or at least the visibility of the usage of the drug. While we all may have our personal opinions on what this means for us as a society, as parents, as friends, there's a whole other side to this. What does this change in the law and societal mores mean for us as employers? How must our thinking and our workplace place policies change? How are home care employers, in particular, to respond when business, as usual, is not an option? This is Pat Kelleher, Executive Director of the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts, and welcome to Talking Home Care. Today, my guest is going to walk us through all of that. Layla Taylor is a partner with Sullivan, Hayes & Quinn, a law firm with practices in Springfield, Mass., and in New York. Her area of expertise is employment law, and she has represented many clients in complex employment-based litigation. Welcome, Layla, to the Talking Home Care podcast, and thanks for joining us here today.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: let's. Great. Let's just jump right in, Layla, with what has changed in Massachusetts. First, with recreational marijuana, what is now legal?
1: So for recreational marijuana, which is covered by Massachusetts General Law Chapter 94G, possession and personal use for adults 21 years and older um, is permissible. What they're allowed to have is up to one ounce of which five grams may be concentrate. Um, marijuana comes in many different forms than it used to. It's just not uh, just, you know, people don't just use the plant and roll up joints. There are resins, there are oils. Um, and they're also allowed up to 10 ounces of marijuana in a primary residence and six plants per resident, but no more than 12 plants per household. So if you had four folks living in a house, they could grow up to six plants. If you had two adults living in a house, they they could have up to six. Uh, they uh, excuse me. If you had four adults living in a house, they could have twelve plants per household. If you had two adults, they could have twelve plants per household. So that's the threshold: um, six plants for one individual. And nothing in the law prevents a doctor from recommending marijuana for the treatment of a disability. And an employee possessing or growing recreationally, as prescribed. And I mention that because although there is medical marijuana laws, recreational use. Um, has opened the door for somebody potentially to get a doctor's note for the use um, and, and use the recreational marijuana law as a limit. Hasn't been tested yet, but it's certainly a possibility.
0: So that recreational use as prescribed is different than the medical marijuana prescription that you get from a medical marijuana clinic, and what does the law allow in terms of that? Uh,
1: in terms of the medical marijuana, in terms of how much you can possess, the regulations can get a little complicated um, in the way they're they're drafted but unless you're certified for more by a registered caregiver or um, a registered caregiver a patient can possess up to a sixty day supply, and the commission has defined a sixty day supply of marijuana to be ten ounces. Or the equivalent in other forms, such as edible marijuana-infused products. There's a mathematical formula that's used to calculate the other forms equivalent, but generally an example of this would be 1.5 ounces of concentrate is going to be considered the equivalent of 10 ounces. Uh, marijuana cultivation is also permitted for those with a hardship for personal use if they're 21 years old or older. And again, they may cultivate cultivate. Um, up to a 60-day supply. The standard, of course, is not clear because different plants
0: produce a different amount of marijuana. Who knew there would be so much math involved in (laughs) legalization of marijuana? And to be clear, these are Massachusetts laws. Nothing has changed federally with regard to crossing state borders or those types of things. These are Massachusetts laws we're talking about.
1: Yes, absolutely, Massachusetts law we're, we're talking about. Actually, federally, it's still considered a Schedule One drug, and a person could be arrested for possession.
0: Interesting. Okay, so I'm an employer. Am I being paranoid about how this n- needs to change my thinking in HR? What can I absolutely prohibit, and what can I still do and be within the confines of the Massachusetts law?
1: Okay. So you're not being paranoid and it doesn't, and, you know, there are other ways to be paranoid other than smoking marijuana. So that was a bad there. <laughs> but, but so, so there are a couple of things. First of all, there was a case and it's called um, Barberto versus Advantage Sales and Marketing. It was a lead case in marijuana. Uh, involving medical marijuana in Massachusetts. And one thing that it really absolutely complicated is the issues of reasonable accommodation. So if somebody is prescribed a medical marijuana card, or theoretically, I haven't seen a test case yet, theoretically, a doctor prescri- wrote a note out for a prescription and said, you know, you should use marijuana for your headache, your migraine headaches. Um, and the person then got recreational marijuana. Um, no test cases out there yet, but it's certainly feasible. What Barbota would say is that if somebody is a qualified disabled person and they're using something outside of work, uh, medical marijuana, then they're entitled to, to engage in the interactive process um, and that it, that outside use might be accommodated. So whereas employers under federal law um, regardless of any kind of federal requirements like CDL or something like that, could prohibit um, outside use of a Schedule One drug. Um, with this Barbuda, Barbuda holding, an employer in Massachusetts who's faced with an employee who says, I take marijuana outside of work, it's been prescribed by my provider because I have a disability, that employer is now obligated to go through the interactive process. So that's the major complication in Massachusetts. Um, In terms of what you absolutely can still prohibit is you can prohibit possession at work, using it at work, distributing, dispensing, or transferring at work, and you can prohibit being high at work. Now, Knowing when somebody's high at work can be a tricky thing. And and I'm sure we'll you'll ask me some questions about that. But but you can absolutely prohibit somebody's use, possession, distribution, transfer, dispension in the workplace. It's the outside use where this becomes very a little bit
0: problematic. And can you explain again when you use the term interactive process? Tell me again what that exactly means.
1: Okay, so in Massachusetts and, and under federal law as well, although Medical marijuana use isn't protected under the federal Americans with Disabilities Act. It's 151B, which is the state counterpart that requires folks who are qualified disabled people to have a reasonable accommodation at work. The Barbudo decision said, if somebody has a disabling condition and they've been they've been prescribed marijuana or they have a medical marijuana card, that outside. Of work, marijuana use might need to be accommodated, and an employer can't just terminate somebody for failing a marijuana test if they have um, if if they've been prescribed marijuana because there there's a legal obligation if they're just if they're asking for an accommodation to engage in the interactive process. Now, what the What that means is the employer needs to sit down and talk to the employee about what their medical, what their, what, what their, what kind of accommodation they need to effectively perform the essential functions of their job in their workplace. And maybe they'll say, you know, I need to use this medicinally because I have migraine headaches and it helps me control the ability, to, you know, the onset uh-huh. of a headache, right? And so the employer can then say, well, you can't come high to work. Do you have to, do you have to use it, you know, at work, right? And if the employee says, yes, I have to use it at work, you can prohibit that still. Now if the employer said employee says no, and it's not that I have to take be high at work, but I use it at night so I won't wake up with a headache in the morning. Let's just say that's the example, right? then the employer can ask under barbudo well you know is there any other alternative um to off duty marijuana use um that that will have the same effect now that's a really hard one right mm-hmm. barbudo yep. barbudo leaves that door open which is great um however typically when we're t- doing the interactive process and we're talking a, we're usually employers are looking at things that have nothing to do with what a medical provider has prescribed somebody in terms of medicine. I'll give you another example. Let's say somebody has ADHD, right? And they ask for reasonable accommodations in the workplace. Typically, what an employer is going to do is say, when somebody asks that and they, you know, it's confirmed, right? They're going to say, okay, well, what do you need? Do you need do you need um, extra time on an assignment? Do you need to be able to carry a notebook so you can remember routine tasks, right? Things like mm-hmm. that. We're usually not going back to the employee and saying, "Well, you know what? Have you thought of taking Adderall instead of Ritalin?" And Barbudo seems to suggest you can do that, um, and 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 that's where it gets very tricky for employers because I don't know if. If the EEOC or the MCAD, if that case was presented, um, is going to allow the employer to get that invasive in the interactive process. So I know I strayed a little bit from your answer, uh-huh, but uh-huh. I thought that was important to, to note. It, it's Barbudo's complicated because it's not a complete decision, and the parameters of what that interactive process would entail um, is, is, is still a gray area.
0: And that's the complications of medical marijuana, where you actually have a prescription. Clearly, we now accept that we have employees and prospective employees who will recreationally and legally engage with marijuana when they're not at work. So what about testing? Given that recreational use is legal, do you see that employers are moving away from pre-employment drug tests for um, home health aides, home care aides, nurses, or other people um that they might employ, is that no longer being part of the pre-employment screening practice?
1: It, it really depends on the employer. I think most of this comes down to policy, right? So, so some employers, and they look at certain things when they make these determinations, what kind of safety-sensitive functions are are employees engaged in? What is the organization's personal philosophy around recreational Marijuana use, right? And those differ. Those differ from organization to organization, um, and and you know, and one of the other considerations that I I often see in my practice is, you know, am am I, if if we if we require marijuana testing on our pre employment drug panel, is it going to essentially potentially screen out folks who. Um, are qualified and we 're having a really hard time getting people in um, and so those are things that I think employers think about. The other complication that some employers think about and, and this is another one that sort of goes to philosophy, but I see it in my practice is you know you know where 's the distinction between medicinal and and recreational? you know, drug drug use and and you know because marijuana when it's tested, unlike so many of the other drugs that are tested in these panels, it can stay in the system and somebody uh-huh. might not be presently intoxicated. Some employers are taking it off because they don't see it as a true assessment of whether somebody's presently intoxicated. So those are the things employers so I see folks moving away from it um, because it's a little bit more complicated. Um, and the testing around marijuana um, and what it what it actually shows is a little bit different than other things.
0: So, so what we're saying is, um, in light of the legalization of recreational marijuana, um, employers should be having these conversations at the leadership and the HR leadership level to say, what is our philosophy? What is our practice? Given the change in Massachusetts law, is there anything that we need to change in our pre-employment um, policies? Um, also, given the the need to to find employees and all of what you had said about having marijuana in your in your drug uh, panel screen does not necessarily mean you're high at the time. So they should be having those conversations now between the HR department and the leadership of the organization.
1: Oh, abso- absolutely, um, because you you know it's better to be prepared and know and have your policies in place then be relying on policies you haven't thought through and, and, and then be presented with a situation um, that you didn't foresee. You know, that, that's, that's the reason you plan for it. The laws have changed, the landscape's changed. And so it's, it's the time to actually make sure your policies are aligned, A, with the law and, and B, with, with, you know, what your workplace needs are.
0: Right, right. And, and, and there's a sort of your organization, I don't know, if you call it level of risk that you're willing to accept to say, we're not going to screen for this drug and we're going to accept that employers are able to use it outside and that they will not bring that into the workplace.
1: Correct, correct.
0: But then there's the situation, um, if you suspect an employee of using on the job, for instance, um, the observation or a patient or, or a patient's family member reports something or a co-worker sees something, what then, as an employer, do you suggest they're allowed or even obligated to do?
1: Well, I think ev- every employer who's presented, especially in the home care industry, right, here sometimes f- folks are out in the field. They don't have a supervisor continuously watching their work. And so you're getting anecdotal uh, you're getting feedback from patients, patients, families, sometimes coworkers on the change of shifts, right? And so if you're getting that feedback that even if you don't have a reasonable suspicion testing policy, and a, you have to have a policy in order to do the testing or else it's ripe with with you know risk. But even if you don't, you absolutely have an obligation to investigate, right? And and one of the things I found in my practice is that even for employers that don't have reasonable suspicion policies, that don't test, that if employees are coming to work intoxicated, right, and we know that home care workers perform safety sensitive functions now depending you know for some folks if they're a visiting nurse for example they might be administering medications right that's safety sensitive it's pretty important work if somebody's driving a home care worker driving pre- uh, you know individuals to appointments mm-hmm. they're 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 driving them in in a, in a motor vehicle that's a safety sensitive work So you absolutely and most and often if they're working with the elderly or folks with disabilities, they're also protected folks under different laws. So you absolutely need to investigate. And what I found is that if people are intoxicated at work, they're probably also having performance issues that violate other workplace rules. Right. They're they're missing. uh, They're late to work. They're they're. Mm -hmm. They're missing, you know, they're missing the client's appointments and driving them to places on time. Um, They're not able to get into, they're not coming to work um, and their motor functions are such that they're stumbling and they can't, they can't um, physically drive somebody when they're supposed to. Um, or, Or they're, you know, not looking out adequately for a client's safety and violating other rules. So one of the things I always tell employers is remember testing is one thing that you might have and you might have available in order to, to approach um, an employee who is intoxicated. But if you don't have those policies, you likely have other policies and rule violations that allow you to deal with the conduct and also discipline an employee. Because at the end of the day, that patient or client safety is absolutely critical and you've got to be able to respond to it.
0: So you can use your, your traditional conduct and, um, and, 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 and evaluation policies, but what you're also saying is you might do well to have a reasonable sus- suspicion testing policy or make sure if you have one um, it's in line with the current times. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, what other policy changes are HR uh, suggestions would you have for employees in terms of the new day of recreational marijuana besides reasonable suspicion testing policies or changes to their pre-employment testing policies? Are there other policies that you're suggesting that our employers need to look at?
1: Yeah, I, I think job descriptions are always important to take a look at. Um, you know, when we think about job descriptions, also oftentimes they're based just on for Uh, the functions of the job. But it's also important that we talk about, you know, things like attentiveness, um, that that's a requirement of the job. You know, if somebody has to, has to be able to sustain focus in their work, you can make that part of the job description. Um, Those kinds of things are going to be really critical. So I think looking at job descriptions, make sure that they address functions that go to performance that could also um, be impacted if somebody was impaired. Um, look at your workplace safety rules, um, just your general conduct guidelines. Make sure you review those. Although it's more related to me- medical marijuana use, it really is critical and vital that employers um, update if they do have testing policies, that they do update date them to um, address med- medical marijuana use mm-hmm. um, and, and the accommodations piece. You might not put that in your accommodation policy, but certainly you're going to want to
0: um, identify it in any of your drug testing policies. And and, and, and so th- this area is, is so new. You know, it's, it's, and you said there's a lot of gray areas for employers, um, but for employers who, You know, want to do the right thing, be prepared, recognize the legality. Is there any other warning you might have for them or advice other than the policies that we haven't covered?
1: Um, Well, I think the biggest one is if they do have a testing policy, and we did cover having testing policies, but reasonable suspicion policies need to be drafted correctly. And supervisors really need to be able to be trained to identify reasonable suspicion. Um, And so typically, when we look at those kinds of policies, they're going to give examples of things reasonable suspicion is based on, certain kinds of psychomotor changes, things like slower response time, delayed reactions, social interaction changes, speech changes, personality changes. Um, There's usually a number of things, and it's not going to be one thing that's dispositive. But there's two components to it. It's making sure your policies are in compliance with Massachusetts law on testing. But the second piece is really training your managers, right? Training them on investigations, response times, and also what to look out for when it comes to reasonable suspicion testing.
0: And otherwise, this isn't a policy that we pull out of a drawer when we have to use it. It's a policy that's living and breathing then, and that everyone at a certain level in the organizations understands what it is, understands their role in, 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 um, in, in complying with it. Because Correct. you're right, if the HR just develops it and the rest of the team don't understand what it is or haven't been trained in it, then you really um, don't have something that's effective or operable.
1: Exactly. And the other point I would like to make is I know we're talking about marijuana today, but certainly in the home care industry where the access to prescription medications, these types of policies become very significant um, for organizations who are concerned about employee opiate use. And Uh so, you know, when we talk about drug testing policies, Making sure the reasonable suspicion testing piece is in compliance um, is is particularly important because of that kind of potential for abuse as well.
0: And we've seen that the policies can be critical because there can be times and and you know it's a he said she said when a family can suggest that a nurse or a aide um, took prescription drugs or in um, the nurse or aide denies the charge so those types of policies become critical in those situations when you're dealing with a one-on-one situation where the nurse or the aide may be the only one in the home um, and we don't know did the drugs go missing somewhere else did a family member you know those situations are fraught with with complications
1: right right absolutely
0: good advice for um, all of our employees Um, thank you Layla Can you tell our podcast listeners how they can reach out to you should they need more assistance in this marijuana minefield or if they find themselves in an employee situation relative to other Massachusetts employment laws? How can they find you?
1: So I am um, a partner at the law firm of Sullivan, Hayes & Quinn in Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, Our website is www.sullivanandhayes.com. It's all one word and the A-N-D is spelled out. My email is Layla L A Y L A dot Taylor T A Y L O R at Sullivan and Hayes dot com, um, and and those are probably the best ways to reach me. Um, and every once in a while, I speak with it before the Home Care Alliance, so it's it's you know it's possible they they do great work, so it's well, always thank possible. Thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. <laughs>
0: Um, Uh, Layla did do a webinar presentation on this topic for the Home Care Alliance a month or so ago, and the slides for that um, webinar will accompany this recording on our podcast website. So you can look at the slides as well as um, hear Layla's words of advice. I thank you, Layla, for giving us your time today, and I thank all of you for listening to Talking Home Care.
1: Thank you. Talking Home Care is a production of the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about our association, visit us at
0: www.thinkhomecare.org. Thank you.